Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. As always, I am your host, Claire Watkins. And this week, we have some games to talk about. We're going to do three games in the A block, three games in the B block. We might go away from news a little bit this week just to get into games. Seems like a good week to just talk game stuff. And I am joined this week by Equalizer contributor John Halloran. How's it going, John? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. So a lot of action this week. Uh, We have one international friendly by the U.S. to sort of clean up on. You can talk a little bit about your perception of of those couple games, and then we'll just talk NWSL stuff. Um, So to begin, this we kind of just missed, right? So the, the podcast drops on Tuesdays. This happened on last Tuesday evening. The U.S. had another blowout game against Paraguay. Five goals in the first half, three goals in the second. This was the big homecoming for Rose Lavelle, big crowd. Everyone had a great time uh, to just to run down the goal scorers in this one. Rose Lavelle, Sophia Smith, Alex Morgan scored three. Alex Morgan hat trick, two goals by Katarina Macario and a goal by Carly Lloyd. Um, I'll just open this up to you, John, more holistically since haven't talked to you since this international break. Um, not a lot to say about the game itself, right? We've gone into detail about how this stuff is mostly exhibition There's not a lot to be taken away from this other than just it's a money-making opportunity. It's goodwill towards fans. Live fans get to go see the team. That's all all lovely. But maybe my question is, were there any performances that stuck out to you of players who were not at the Tokyo Olympics, perhaps? You know, I don't think that anyone in good conscience can put any value on any of the performances. And I don't mean to be the (laughs) to rain on anyone's parade, but when the game's three, nothing inside of five minutes. If, if Vlatko Andonovsky learned anything from this past week, it was done in the training sessions, not the games. Right. The one thing I will say, and, and this is obviously people can check me on this a little bit of a Homer statement, but I do think that it's significant that Pew started both games just in terms of fitness. I think that one of the things you can learn maybe from the game states in these sort of blowout friendlies is how ready a player is to do full nineties back to back. They talk a lot about that, especially in a U.S. environment. So the fact that Mallory Pugh was able, I think, you know, she played for long stretches of the first game played for long stretches of the second game. That's a big turnaround. I mean, she went on to play 90 or almost 90 minutes in the game this weekend. And so I think that maybe one of my main takeaways, and again, I'm a little bit closer to it. We are since we're in Chicago, but For that player, it at least felt like what we did see, and we can kind of joke about this, and and I I did on on another podcast that I do, which is that the Red Stars were leaned on a little bit heavily in the second game to fill out that 11. And Pew being able to do that is a turnaround from what she's been able to do in the past. So I guess maybe that's my big positive from the second game. I think that's fair um, because one of the things – that she talked about that Rory talked about that we were wondering when she came to Chicago was, could she stay healthy? Would she stay healthy? And um, they obviously had some success turning Morgan Gatra around Mm -hmm. uh, two years ago, finally getting her to the first time uh, or first stretch of, of fitness for probably three years. And it kind of feels that way with Pew because if you looked, and there were other reasons too, but if you looked, her club play since entering the league mm-hmm. was always uh, short and, right. and it came in fits and starts. And I think that's fair because it's not like she would have come into this camp 
completely fresh either because they've relied on her heavily in Chicago, not Mm -hmm. just minute wise, but literally on the field. Right. She's the one producing. She's their probably 60, 70% of their offense and offensive chances. So um, for her to be able to, to do that and play minutes and then come back and do again, like you mentioned, you know, she came back, she almost played 90 again. Mm-hmm. Um, at the club level this weekend. I think that's fair to point that out as a positive. Yeah. And I think, you know, you talk about other general positives, a player that had issues with that literally when she was uh, Pew's teammate is Rose Lavelle. She had a very good game. I'm not really going to, you know, sing the praises of Rose Lavelle against Paraguay. You know, we know that she's a very good player was nice, I guess, in a sentimental way that she was able to have that homecoming from the crowd. You talk about growing the game. Those are good growing the game experiences, even just in the U S to have a player like that. Who's a big star from a smaller market to have the market come out to see her and for her to have a good game. Um, that's re- it's conducive to to building support for this team. And I think that that is a positive. Um, but she also has been someone who consistently has been pretty healthy for the last couple of months. And I think that's a big positive as well. Um, Katarina Macario had a good game. Sophia Smith, when she came in, had a good game. Obviously, Alex Morgan was pretty dominant. But I had hoped maybe from game one to game two that Paraguay would be a little bit more aggressive in defense, that they would try to cut down on space a little bit more. And it just didn't happen. Like you said, John, uh, anything to be learned from this uh, week and a half was learned in training. And I honestly am not even sure that anybody was in there to learn a whole lot. But I will say it was nice to see the non-Olympic players. And maybe I even consider Macario in that group. She is an Olympian. She's a bronze medal winner. Absolutely. But she's not part of the core of the playing group at this moment. And seeing them get that opportunity and and play very hard. Um, I would say, again, makes me feel very optimistic about the future, hopefully, uh, but that there's a lot still to be seen about that. Um, any final thoughts about the U.S. this week? Are you just kind of ready for the turnaround at the end of the year, maybe? Yeah, I am. I'm, and I'm, I think everybody is kind of ready to see the next cycle of players. I know yeah. everybody likes to talk about World Cup cycles, but with the way that the Olympics traditionally fall right. one year after the World Cup, that's usually when you start to see the transition. And I, I want to see some some new players and some new narratives and have some new things to write about, yep. <laughs> um, you yep. know, from a selfish point of view. But sure. I do think it's fair what you said about growing the game because the fan, most of the fans, like we, we sit up here, we want to analyze which players played well and what that means for their chances and what formational tweaks and tactical tweaks. Uh, the fans want to go and watch the U.S. paced a team, right? Five, six, seven, nothing, and they got to see that. Um, and I, I went, you know, and personally attended some of the post twenty sixteen games. And nobody cared that the U.S. was beating Romania eight to nothing. They just wanted to see goals and cheer, right. and um, so they got to do that. Yeah, and not every part of the country is an NWSL market. They're not always parts we live in a we live in a big country and not everybody gets to see these players all the time I do think there's value to that I kind of like that they're doing a little midwest tour I think that's nice um yeah so they've got games again in October they'll be playing South Korea um South Korea historically has played the U.S. kind of tough actually in the states specifically so I'm kind of looking forward to those games they tend to get a little bit more physical um but uh we'll see we'll see if we see more people come in coming up people coming off of injury 
We still don't know exactly what's happening. Obviously, we only we talked about this. I think I talked about this last week. We only have one firm retirement at this moment. Uh, Megan Rapino has not made any choices. Becky Sauerbrunn has not made any choices. Those older players, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. And I think probably we're not going to, um, as this has kind of been built, this is still the Carly Lloyd farewell tour a little bit. And then you might see some other players be a little bit more low key in their, uh, in their way out. And there will still be games in November and December. So, um, there will be opportunities for players to make that decision. Well, if you remember the 2015 farewell tour, it was very odd because some of the players took 10 games to say goodbye and right. other players took six games to say <laughs> goodbye. And yeah. It was, it was a very odd situation. So who, who knows what's going to happen over the next few months? Yeah, We'll find out. Um, but I'm honestly excited to talk about the league this week. I've, I, I'm excited to talk about NWSL games. I feel like I've spent the last couple of weeks talking a lot about NWSL off the field stuff and not like that isn't important. It's very important, but right now I would just love to talk about some soccer games. So I think that's what we're going to do because there were a number of really interesting games this weekend. I thought, especially those Saturday games. I thought the games on Saturday were fantastic. Both of them high level soccer games. So we're going to start with the first one. First one was Gotham hosting North Carolina. Gotham wins this game three to one. Uh, Carly Lloyd uh, scores on a, well, actually, sorry. Uh, and James scores first for North Carolina, kind of a long range shot from the midfield. Carly Lloyd responds after Midge purse wins a penalty, maybe a questionable decision. It was a penalty. There was some fouling going on before that penalty foul occurred. Um, Midge purse scores one on her own off of a fantastic ball in from Ifioma Anumanu. And then Paige Monahan gets kind of the kicker at the end of the game. So I would say for me, as I was sort of putting my notes together, it seems like it's a, it's a small sample size because there's a lot of recency bias after the international break, but we're seeing some trends a little bit. And this was a big trendy game in a sort of, in, in, in some sort of a way, because weirdly, or maybe not weirdly, it was, a, it was maybe a surprise to me. This was the first game Gotham has won since July. They've tied a number of games, but they have not won a game in a long time. And this was also North Carolina continuing a streak. They haven't won since August. And I think it was like the middle of August was their last win. It was their win against, I believe, uh, Chicago. That was their last win. So we're seeing Gotham with a big trend upward against a team that is close to them in the points range. North Carolina is still kind of struggling. This was another really tepid attacking performance from North Carolina. Not a lot happening in front of goal. Their transition defense looked weak. That was how Gotham scored quite a bit. They got burnt a lot of times. I don't know. There have been stretches of this year where North Carolina's looked great and they look Mm -hmm. like shield contenders. And then they have these periods of time where you're like, this is not the courage that we know. Right. And so as we go into these final five to four games for each team, North Carolina has to be worried about this trend, right? Because right now they're tied with Chicago on points. They've lost a lot of ground. They need their stars to compete. It's yeah. not. It's they didn't not have the, to be in. Yeah. They didn't right. have Sam Mewis. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, it, it's one thing if you don't have Dabinia and Sam Mewis, but you still have Crystal Dunn on the right. team, or you can still bring McCall Zerboni into the game. And you've still got Dahl Kemper back there anchoring the back line with Urseg. Will you take all of that away and then Mewis and Dabinia on top? There's no team in the world right. that, that can 
can lose that many pegs and still come out and be the same team. I mean, it's just, it's, it's odd, I think, to us because, number one, we're so used to seeing the Courage be a dominant team in the league, but two, that they had 13, 14 players that they could rely on in those years. And they don't even have 11 players right. at that top level anymore. They've got eight, seven. And well, and it's very lopsided take- positionally, right? They they rolled out in something of sort of like a three back with a very crowded midfield. They're They're switching some things around tactically to sort of fit the personnel that they have. And they don't seem super comfortable in that. And I, in a way, I respect that they're not sitting back. They're not playing hyper defensively because they're afraid. They're not a team. I think if that's a team that starts playing afraid, that's not who they are. But they're very, they were very leaky in the back against Gotham and they were not winning those 1v1 battles. And they weren't really winning the battles in the midfield either. It was a very physical game. I should mention that as well. Gotham had five yellow cards in this game. Gotham was very physical with them. Um, And so I think that also set a tone, but it seems a little bit like they will be better, obviously, when they get everybody back, if they get everybody back, some teams not get everybody back, you know, Um, and that everybody is now limited, right? That doesn't include Crystal Dunn and it doesn't include Abby Dahl Kemper. Um, So I think I agree. Well, I think that for me, I think that North Carolina is still very dangerous on the day. Wouldn't want to play them. Certainly wouldn't want to play them in They could still win the whole thing. Oh, yeah. If they have everybody. Right. Um, but this was also indicative. I think the, maybe what I do want to say though, is that this performance from North Carolina was also real. It was not an anomaly. They have the ability to put these kinds of performances out on this kind of a day. Now talking about Gotham. Oh boy. Nice. Well, obviously you and I are both big fans of Scott Parkinson. We think he's a great coach, but sure. Nice on your first head coaching debut to have Midge purse back. Right. (laughs) So let me just say, I, um, I didn't get a chance to watch this game live. And when I saw the, the email, so the team sent out the emails to, mm-hmm. the, to the media about what the scoreline was and who scored. When I saw the email come through that Gotham had won, my first thought was about Parkinson coaching Chicago mm-hmm. uh, for that one week where Dames was away, I think working on one of his coaching badges and how well Chicago had played that week. And then right. of course I got up this morning and as I was scrolling through tweets from last night, I saw you yeah, obviously I had, had the, the same exact thought. Same yeah. thought. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's another one where for, for more than a few of us, I'm guessing at the 2020 draft, um, when he was, he was the acting head coach right. uh, of Utah at that point. And then he didn't get the job, which seemed a little surprising, I think, to some of us because his relationship with Laura Harvey had been really good and, and people seemed to have a good of opinion of him. Um, so I think he's getting his shot and he seems incredibly excited about it. If you look at his, his Twitter feed, uh, he seems to be very much enjoying it. And I think, this is a team that's crying out for some stability. Right. And I think he could be the person to give them that. And we saw last fall, the beginnings of what has become the Gotham attack, those seeds. And, you know, if you have a stable coach, especially coming into a chaotic environment where the players can, can feel some, some sense of, of stability 
And, uh, and then you have all of that talent and obviously their midfield has gotten much better this year. I think we could debate whether their defense is good or the luckiest team in the history of teams. Um, but I think they are poised to have a really good run in the, in the final quarter of the season. Yeah, I agree. Uh, right. Having purse back, I think was big. I think Ifioma Animanu has even exceeded expectations in the last couple of weeks, even when she was working off a deficit. And like I said, Gotham hadn't won in a long time, but she was the player who was trying to keep them in it. Um, I think they're getting better at, at working Carly Lloyd back in. I still don't always feel like that front line is on the exact same page when she's up top, but um, yeah. And it seems like, right. Some stability, some very basic solid ideas. They're not experimenting with a three back. They're not, they're not making changes. They're sort of sticking with what they're good at and they're letting their players play. And I think that that is also something that for a team like Gotham, which seems like they thrive when they're having fun, just kind of letting them play to their strengths, I think is the best thing you can do, right? You let Ali long distribute from that six role. You play things out to the wings. You let your runners run one V one battles. You're, you'll win them as often as you lose them. And, and then you go from there. And so I think that that's what we saw from Gotham. And if they can play like that every time, I think you will see something more conducive to wins rather than what we saw sometimes, which was maybe a team overthinking it. So, um, very big win for Gotham, not even just in points, but again, against sort of a playoff rival, that's good tape for them to see how they can beat teams. And I think that, uh, that was a good game. And I, I mean, I will say that, you know, again, you can argue the PK, you can argue maybe some of the officiating decisions, but I don't think you can watch that match or even sort of look at the stats and think that Gotham did not outplay North Carolina because, because they did. Um, the second game on Saturday was, what I thought, I think that was the best. I was there. That was the best game that I've seen in person all year, I think, um, between Chicago and Portland. So this was a big one um, emotionally, I think, for the Red Stars, but also, you know, just talking about the history of it. That was their first regular season win over Portland since 2013. They did beat Portland in the semifinal in 2019, but this was the first time in the regular season in a very long time. It was a big three points for Chicago to kind of stay in place with what everybody else is doing, especially with the Gotham win and some of the wins we'll talk about that happened on Sunday. But this match I think was also significant for Chicago because by my estimation, that was the best they've played all year. And if there's one thing that I have learned watching this red star season is you're, there's room in a regular season to look kind of lost. And this is probably also true. You can maybe say for OL rain, right? It's not about how poor those losses look. It's about consolidating the damage and, and moving forward and learning from it. And I think if there's you have to give kudos to the Red Stars, I think that is is what it has to be. Is that obviously this was a parallel to their five nothing loss at the beginning of the regular season against Portland. They learned from that in a number of different ways. They kind of figured out the way that they want to play, and they were able to take it to the Thorns. Now, I will concede. You know, obviously. Um, Portland was not at full strength in this game. Um, they did not have Lindsay Horan. Uh, they did not have Rocky Rodriguez until the second half. She had been playing with Costa Rica in the international break. They did not have Sophia Smith start because she had been playing with the U.S. So not, not Portland's best starting 11. But to be fair, Chicago hasn't played with their best starting 11 all year. So I think if you look at that, there's a lot for Chicago to be really happy about and maybe think like, oh, maybe we can make some waves in the postseason this year, you know? 
I, I thought it, you know, you mentioned the 2019 semifinal. I, that was the feeling that I had watching that game. Uh, it, it, it seemed competitive. I think you saw two teams that really both wanted to win that game. I will also tell you that this seemed to be a very typical Chicago game early on because they were utterly dominating through the first 20 minutes. And then, and they, then they went <laughs> yeah, right. down one, nothing. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. okay, here they go. Um, and, it, and I, you know, I, I wanted to make sure, you, uh, you know, I checked my bias a little bit. Um, but when I looked at the halftime stats, Chicago was winning the shots on goal battle six to one. Yeah. And, uh, and I think you know, they ended at eight to three and was probably yeah. lucky to be tied because, right. you know, um, you obviously have to put the ball in the back of the net when you get chances, but Bixby just gifted, yeah. gifted them that chance to equalize. Um, and, and, and no disrespect to what Chicago did in the second half because their second goal was, was very nicely worked, but, uh, you know, they had dominated the game and hadn't scored on any of the, the chances that they were creating up, mm-hmm. up through that point. And uh, like, it, it just felt very much like a Chicago 2021 performance. Right. Right. And maybe that's uh, you can look at it like it as a positive and also as a less positive, because I think that what we've heard from that team is, you know, they've been unlucky, but their performances mm-hmm. have been fine. Right. And so maybe that's true, but it also means that, um, those tendencies, I mean, I've talked about this before, these tendencies create a small margin for error. And so they got, they, they, the bounces worked in their favor this time. You talk about the first goal that they scored, which was a bit of a spill by Bella Bixby, which is not something that she does often. Um, Their second goal was very good. You know, they were probably lucky is the wrong word. They had to work very hard not to concede at the end of the game. Um, Yeah. I think they, for the first time this year, you mentioned this being the best performance and, and I'm, you know, just kind of, going running through it in my head. I mean, they had a really good performance uh, early on against North Carolina and then one against, I think, Washington, which was really good. But the one note that I had written during this game was that Chicago finally looked to be the sum of its parts. Right. There's a lot of talent on that team, but this year there's been a lot of disjointed performances. Right. I thought they finally started to put those pieces together. Yeah. And Again, to sort of talk about Portland's game, it was an interesting Portland performance in that they have not, if you think about who Portland is, and it's like they 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 have three shots on goal and two goals, or they have five shots on goal and they score three. So these kinds of high, these maximum XG chances that go in, despite the fact that they are not shooting all the time, that actually hasn't really been their MO as much this year. They are shooting more. They're just trying to generate more attack um, while also, you know, scoring as many as they possibly can. And that Sinclair goal that they scored first was very nicely worked. It was a very nice shot from her crystal Dunn. It was a beautiful cutback from crystal Dunn to, to open her teammate up. And I thought Dunn had as strong a game as she possibly could though. Chicago did plan for her specifically. I think they had Sarah Woldmo on her all night. Um, but I think the thing, and the thing that Chicago talked about after the match was over is they talked about, and, and this is like a good thing and a bad thing about the Red Stars is that they have compiled, like you said, this starting 11 that through just sheer force of hours of sort of working on this is beginning to see the results of honestly just creating like teamwork and cohesion and, and working together. 
Um, but they do not have or have not been utilizing the strongest bench in, in the league right now. Yeah. And, and, and not a lot of analysis on that other than just that's how they've been playing. They rely on their starting 11 a lot. And so one of the things they've been working on is cutting down on the mistakes in the starting 11 with the understanding that the game is really on, on them to, to close out. And so I think that they were very proud of the way they did that um, with the two to one win. Um, Yeah. I mean, it was a good performance by Chicago. They should be very happy with it. I think I liked watching it. It felt again, like a very competitive game. I thought that both teams were, they were finding their teammates pretty well. I'm starting to really like uh, Chicago's little pivot three back, four back with Aaron Wright essentially playing left winger. When she's having a good game, it looks brilliant. You know, when she's having a less good game, it doesn't work quite so well. But um, yeah, I thought they did a nice job against a Portland team that I thought still played pretty well. Yeah, I mean, Chicago probably got a little lucky um, in the fifth minute. Pew had given the ball away to Sinclair. Sinclair laid it into Weaver, for, for who for some reason just didn't didn't pull the trigger. I don't know what happened on that sequence. And then Chicago had had two cleanups that that Portland could have uh, scored on too. There was one that uh, a corner kick that Gatraw I think put off the line. It got him behind Miller, and then uh, Miller had spilled one on a near post shot that Gordon cleaned up too in the second half. So. Um, and that's why I, I said it had that 2019 playoff feel because I, it didn't feel like this was Portland came in and, oh, they were a little bit, you know, slow or Portland wanted to win that game. And, uh, I think that makes it more impressive from, from Chicago's point of view. Yep. And it just goes to show, we'll talk a little bit about the table at the end of the, at the end of the episode, but it just does go to show how tight things are, which was, I was a little bit down on Chicago going into the international break. I didn't super love their games played and and their points per game. It seemed like they were in perhaps a precarious position. Um, And they had turned this into a little bit more of a must win, especially not getting a full three points against Houston, but winning this one, they look a lot better. Things look a lot better for them, just even in the playoff outlook. And so um, if you want to give just the most basic kudos to a team, you know, you won your must win and you won the one that maybe people didn't think would become the game that you would get the three points from, but you got the points and and that helps you out a lot. And so they're currently sitting in fourth Portland are still in first. They have a three point lead at this point at, against oil rain, which the rain we will talk about in segment two um, creeping up on them a little bit. I don't know if this puts Portland's shield hopes in any danger, but they do have one more game against the rain. So we will see what happens with that particular match It's exciting. It's exciting. I think the fact that we have, it's like, we've got the, it's a little bit uh, like premier league style. We have both the league trophy and relegation. If you call that with the three, the three teams, not, or the four teams, not making playoffs. Uh, those lines are still very blurry. And I think that that's nice. You have some questions at the top and some questions at the bottom. Portland will be very excited to get Lindsay Horan back. I'm sure. Um, so that was all for, for day one. Maybe the one thing I do want to close out with real quick, uh, because I was at the, the Chicago Portland game and I saw this and I do want to go, I don't, this is maybe the one off the field thing that I do want to mention is the no more side hustles t-shirt campaign. The NWSL players association has kind of ramped up their messaging a little bit. They have a contract now messaging they have released t-shirts that say no more side hustles you can get those from breaking tea 
they described this and they sent they sent a press release out to a lot of people when they announced this. And, and they used the wording that they said that the CBA negotiations are entering their final phase with. So, again, just some language that maybe indicates that the Players Association felt like it was in their best interest to book up a little bit sort of the public conversation around the CBA negotiations. Um, so I did want to acknowledge that. Chicago and Portland both wore no more side hustles t-shirts. I believe some other teams this weekend did as well. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts, John, about sort of what you've seen from the PA this week. No, I, uh, I think it's, it's interesting to see them with wearing the t-shirts uh, during the warm up. It's, it's almost kind of taken a page from what the U S women have done um, on occasion when they have felt a need to amplify their message. Usually that means um, when things spill out into the public forum, that maybe means that things behind closed doors are not moving as quickly as one party or both parties would like. We'll see. We'll probably get more information about that as it goes on. Um, I would expect more. Usually when this stuff, again, enters the public forum, you start getting more information instead of less. So we will see. It was cool to see, though. I, I definitely think that it's interesting to see the league in its first CBA negotiation and some pretty powerful union backing going on from both the yep. fan base and the players. I think that that's, that's important. So that was Saturday. Um, we will talk about Sunday's game in part two, so stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, I am joined by John Halloran. Real quick, I'm going to ask the thing I always ask. Please give us a five-star review. Give us a rating. It helps people find us, especially as we get into the home stretch of the NWSL season. We're doing our best here to bring as much good content to you as we possibly can. And we're a little independent, little independent podcast here doing our very best. So if you give us a rating and a review, it helps people find us. And we appreciate it. So let's talk Sunday. Sunday had one pretty close game that I would say probably wasn't that great and two not close games. I don't know. I didn't think Sunday's games were as good, John. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, We'll start with uh, the first game of the day. Louisville hosting Houston. Houston wins this four to nothing on goals from Brie Vasali, Christy Mewis, Katie Naughton, and Michelle Prince. Disastrous defending from Louisville in this one. Just really, really poor. Yeah, I, I think... Every person on that back line needs to make sure that uh, Beto's coffee is taken care of before training. Um, It was bad. It was, you know, it was funny because, you know, I I think you were probably one of the only people to call out the giveaway on the first one, because I don't think it was egregious. It was, they gave it away. I thought the recovery from the giveaway was worse yeah. than the actual giveaway itself. Um, yeah. Near the near the middle third, right. and Vasali had to do something to finish that. She mm-hmm. she had a nice step over. She beats her defender. She yeah. fires it in. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Hey, great. Yeah. That second one was so bad, and then it just did, never got better. Right. Uh, you know they couldn't clear the corner kick, which I think Naughton is the is the one that she put away and. That yeah. like that that ball was bouncing around like right. at chest level for a yeah. good six seconds, and nobody could even get a foot on it. It 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 was they not need, a high it was not a high level of soccer playing to to be completely honest. They had a bad day, and they yeah. you know they were missing a couple of people on their back yes. line. Yes, yeah, out of injury. and the people who they normally have on their back line are are fairly new and yes. So you're you're you just 
set up to fail from the get-go, which is too bad because, as we've said multiple times, Louisville usually puts up a good fight. Right. And they just were so outclassed today. Well, let me ask you this, though. And and I know that I have to check myself with this sometimes. I, I am someone who always has to check maybe bias is too strong of a word. But I know that the way I take away a game can sometimes be influenced about what I know about sort of the team's larger arc of their season. So you can tell me, John, if you agree with this. Do you think that a performance like that one, which was a particularly rough day for them, and they haven't been immune to that all season, but they don't have a coach. and the roster that they've put together was a very particular vision by the coach that they no longer have. And so I think, you know, at this point, Louisville, this is all just about collecting data to get better for next year at this point. Can you do that though? If you don't have anybody really in charge of seeing that vision out. I think that's a tough situation. And it was funny you say that because I did hear them talking about that during the Washington broadcast as well, which is a team that's, stacked with talent right and if you don't know who your coach is it makes it so difficult to know how you're going to proceed we just talked about the situation in utah where we all kind of thought uh, that scott parkinson was going to get the job as the acting head coach and then didn't and they went in a different direction and so you have all of these teams this is it's a side effect of all of the coaching changes that we've had this year is that you have these teams that can't have a two-year vision or even maybe a six-month vision because you've got these interim coaches in there and you're absolutely right this this team was set up in a unique way is a nice way of saying it right Right. from the expansion draft and um and the person who set it up that way is no longer there right and so that for me i would say that that is the toughest part of this for me for louisville because like i said i i know at least for me watching you can shake losses off. It's the team's first year. There's all that you build back better. They already won a trophy this year. They won, they won that women's cup trophy. You try to move on, you try to build back, you know, what you can do for next year. But if you don't have anybody, and I'm not saying there's nobody in charge, but there's no head coach in charge. And we saw that maybe in the first half of the Washington game as well, where it felt a little bit like even that team didn't know exactly what the vision was. Um, I, I, yeah, I think it's tough. I, I feel for Louisville's players right now because they probably have to feel a little bit like they don't know exactly what's going to happen. And I, I really empathize with them. Um, on the flip side, Houston. So Houston, kudos, you know, props to them for pouncing off the, op, uh, you know, the opportunities that they got. They were playing without Rachel Daly, which as we know, can, can be hard for them. She's a big player in, in, in their system, but Houston being a team, and this is very vague, but being a team that runs on vibes a little bit, John, do you think that them dismantling Tigres last week maybe has helped them get a little bit of their edge back? Or do you think that this was just, they took what they were given because they're a good soccer team? I think Houston is the same Houston it was a year ago, which is a team that can run all the way and win the Challenge Cup. And on another day could lose a game three, nothing. And you wouldn't be surprised by either result. Um, they've, they've got a lot of talented players. They're up and down. It was interesting today. One of the stats I did take away from the broadcast was how dependent they are on Rachel Daly. So I'm sure that that felt good for them to go in there and, and be able to put some goals away without her being there because it's, much easier to plan uh, to, to 
take away one goal scorer from a team than it is than you know if you have one who can who can hit you in different ways. Yeah, definitely. Um, the funny, well, funny is maybe the wrong word depending on who you're asking, but I think, like I said, if there's one thing that we've learned, however, about this season, talking, you know, maybe of a mirror of Chicago, is Chicago has lost a Chicago lost a couple of games really big, right? They had that five zero loss. I think a three zero loss to Louisville. That was a crazy game. Um, a three, one loss to, to, I think it was a well rain when they were out, out in Seattle for the, for the first part of the season, but points per game, those bad losses didn't has not ended up hurting them particularly worse than anybody else. For me, it feels a little bit like Houston's on the flip side of this. Houston has had some very good performances, but at the end of this weekend, other teams were also getting some wins so yeah. Houston is still struggling in this points per game conversation. And just, I mean, again, not to be harsh on Houston, they have two games against Portland left and a game against North Carolina and a game against Washington. They have a very difficult run in to the rest of the season. So this is a, an important momentum game for them, but it's all about the consistency. And so what you have to hope is that they can find enough of that in these last couple of games to even get them the shot of the one-off single elimination that sends them to the semifinals or sends them to the final. Right. Well, it's probably like the worst thing possible that could have happened is for Chicago, Gotham, Houston, and Washington all to win. Right. Because there's no, like, no separation. You yeah. Right. The, yeah. the ta- you look at the table and you're like, eh, well, that's... and with the Orlando loss, which we will talk about, it's gotten tighter and the North Carolina loss. Yeah. It's gotten worse. Yeah. yeah. It's uh you look at that table at the end and you're like, wow, you felt like there were some big results in there and it didn't do much of anything in terms of separating anybody. Right. So we'll see for Houston. They're very dangerous. They are going to need to pick up some points against a couple very good teams in order to make the playoffs, Um, which is not where they want to be. But as a reminder, again, they are only two points away from the playoff line right now, as always. So um, it's going to be a very exciting last couple of weeks. So going back, uh, or sorry, going to our next game, this is a big result again, also just maybe emotionally, but also just in terms of getting some points, Washington, the Washington spirit played a soccer game this weekend. They hosted Kansas city at Sager field. They win this game two to one. They go down early and you think maybe, Oh no, mm-hmm. Washington, what's going on. Um, a bit of a soft penalty call, but Andy Sullivan sinks it. Uh, and then Tara McCone, McKeown, uh, gets the game winner in the second half. So this was another example and we don't know why exactly. I know that they have a number of players that have some knocks. They obviously had some players quarantining, which can affect your fitness. They did not run out with their best starting 11 in this match either. Uh, Washington. I mean, Trinity Rodman was on the bench. Uh, Dorian Bailey was on the bench. Houston was on the bench. Um, and they had a really rough first half Washington did but they seem to kind of figure it out. They made a lot of subs in the second half and that sort of changed the game. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I mean, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll posit this and you can tell me if you agree. I still think Washington has a strong shout for playoffs this year. Oh, without a doubt. With the players that they have, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they've got a great back line. They've got solid midfielders. They can score goals. They have, they, and they've got a really good keeper. Uh, I don't think you could ask for for much more. Well, maybe a stable front office. Stable, stable organization. Uh, 
There was also news that that investigation into yeah. the Washington spirit has concluded. Um, Stephen Goff of the Washington Post did note that Michelle Kang was at the game this weekend and Steve Baldwin was not. So we will get more information as possible, actually, by the time this is released, right. we have more info. But um, stay t- well, you know, check the equalizer, check equalizersoccer.com for your up to date news on that situation. But hopefully and I and I do mean this for the players. I really hope that there is a resolution soon because I think that this group deserves a shot at finishing this season strong. Yeah. Um, that there, there was, I think it was Sullivan during the U S camp made some sort of joke, which. Oh, tonight that, she called them that, shenanigans. She said it was nice to get a win <laughs> after all of the shenanigans. Oh, that had been going on. You know, they were referring to the, to the U S camp as a, a less controversial or right. less, uh, less stressful environment. Yeah, that, that's right. what it was. And yeah. it was like that, that says something about sure. what's been going on there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So flipping it over to Kansas city. Now we know that Kansas city again is in data collecting mode. They're not, you know, they're not going to the playoffs. They haven't officially been mathematically eliminated or maybe they even have been mathematically eliminated, but it's not happening this year. They're tinkering a little bit with, with mm-hmm. where they're playing people. They had Haley Mace at center back, which is an interesting choice. I think, um, especially just based on what we saw, even from her in North Carolina earlier this year, she is a player that the more attacking she gets, the more effective she gets. They played her at the six sometimes in North Carolina and it did not go very well. And then they slotted her into the 10 and she did great. So I think that I don't know exactly where the logic behind that came from, from Kansas city. Um, Kansas city also loaned Michelle Vasconcelos out for the rest of the season. So that's a player, uh, that did not, has not getting any more time with them for the rest of the year. Kate Delfava is also, she was, uh, she was not in the 18 at all this week. We saw a couple of healthy scratches this week. Actually, Simone Charlie was a healthy scratch. Jennifer Cujo was a healthy scratch. Interesting, interesting roster th- things occurring. I think as people are sort of figuring out what happens next, but, um, Kansas city had a really good start. And, mm-hmm. and they took advantage. Incredible. Yeah. And they took advantage of, it was a beautiful, beautiful shot by Darian Jenkins. Um, but they really faded in the second half. And I don't know if that is just Washington playing better or what exactly, but as we look for positive trends for Kansas city, I'm not sure this game actually was one. And so maybe I'll, I'll put this to you, John managers. We've seen the issues this week of not really having a head coach. Um, we saw it with Louisville. I do think we saw it in the first half of this Washington game. I think that Washington's identity, they're still kind of refiguring out who they are in the wake of, of, of their head coach being removed. But it seems also like Hugh Williams is moving things around a lot and not really sticking with any sort of set thing to build off of. Um, I don't know, John, what, what, what's your thought on Hugh Williams as the manager of this? What would you maybe like to see? What would you do if you were the manager here? Would you actually, no, no. Would you try to get some momentum going? Would you try to stick with some stuff, get some people, some confidence, or would you really just be like, we're trying something new every game? I think it depends on whether or not he has the answers he needs, because right now to me, it would seem that he doesn't that right. he's still trying to decide again, this is assuming he's around, but if, right. if he wants to stay around and if the ownership wants to keep him around, then at this point, I'm trying to figure out 
who are the players I'm going to keep and who are the players that uh, I might be looking to move yeah. or, uh, or wave or whatever. Um, you know, I thought that they probably could have been up for nothing at the half. Yeah. And it was one, one. And part of that is the PK, which, which you mentioned. Uh, and part of that's just poor finishing. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, did not do well. And then Bledsoe, I think, saved two of the four really good right. chances. Very, very good keeper. Uh, one, And then one went over the net and then Jenkins scored the other one. So, you know, they had four really good chances. I thought they dominated the first half. Mm-hmm. And yet somehow in the matter of uh, literally 12 seconds of play went from right. up, <laughs> up 1-0 to down 2-1. Right. Um, because that, uh, that penalty was the last kick of the first half. And then they gave it up right off the kickoff in the second half. So, you know, I thought that whatever they were trying today was working at least through 45 minutes or 44 minutes. The Mace thing I think is interesting to me because this is not just a North Carolina and Kansas city thing. Jill Ellis moved Haley Mace all over the pitch when she was in with, for the U S Mace played multiple positions at UCLA in her college days. So I think her particular skill set has flummoxed four uh, pretty high level coaches and people can't quite figure out what to do with her talent and how to, and to be honest with you, at this point, it's probably been detrimental to her career path because sure. you can't keep switching positions and fully develop. I mean, Crystal Dunn has talked about this. Crystal right. Dunn is, you know, she's been able to be moved all over the pitch and be right. successful everywhere. Right. Most players cannot do that. Uh, most players really struggle and it sets them back. We've seen that with a number of players who became part of the Jill Ellis right back experiment. I think sure. Sophia, Sophia Huerta's career of course she was back at right back tonight, well, i was gonna so. say we'll get to <laughs> um, that but, but like yeah. i think her career probably was set back a little bit by that i think midge purse probably had a little bit of stuttered career because of, of some of those positional switches so um i don't know i thought i actually thought mace looked pretty good in the first half as a center back but washington put no pressure on her right and then in the second half i don't know if she was tired or just didn't want to be playing there but there were plays where it seemed like she was giving up on the ball or not tracking back and she of course had the soft back pass that led to McCown's goal um so I'm not really sure I don't think she's an outside back I don't think she's a holding midfielder right I think she's probably best as either a forward or a center back but she really needs a coach who is known for developing players to, to kind of say, okay, I want you on my team and this is the position and we're going to stick with this for a year or two, because otherwise we're just going to continue to see her flounder because uh, you cannot expect anybody to, to succeed under those circumstances. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And I think maybe then the way I feel about it is that is maybe a microcosm of how I feel about Kansas city as a whole. Yeah, that's fair. Um, which is that if you don't let, if you don't ever let them settle, I don't even know exactly who they can become. Um, 
And, and maybe, you mentioned Del Fava, who was yeah, great right. a year ago and now yeah. can't get in the lineup. And, right. and Corsi has been, or was great a year ago. And I think has been pretty good this year. And she came off the bench tonight. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think also the other thing, maybe the reason, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll stick to, I'll stick to sort of what I'm hinting at. You know, I think that, um, the tendency of Kansas city actually to look pretty good and still lose. And sometimes quite badly has actually been a theme this year as well. Um, and I think that it's really hard to decipher if that's a managerial issue or if that's still a cohesion and player issue when you have a team that has these stretches where they look quite good and perhaps even dominant, and then they lose the game. This was a good game for them. You know, that four, nothing game against North Carolina, they dominated every stat line and and they lost four to nothing. And so um, it's hard to tell it's so early in this process, what is exactly going on there. I will say though, I want to mention that Kansas city did announce this week that they are going to be playing in a uh, children's mercy park. They will mm-hmm. be in a real live soccer specific stadium next year. This is in addition to the already mentioned $15 million um, training facility that the Longs are building outside of Kansas City for the team. This is an ambitious ownership group. The results on the field are not going to be good enough for very long. Let me ask you, if, if how many of Kansas City's starting 11 would start on an above average team in the NWSL right now? Well, this is why Kansas City should trade their immunity, John. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get into that in the off season, but, um, yeah, I, or maybe like the te- the players that I actually think might do well on other teams aren't really featuring for Kansas city. So, um, yeah. that's, that's part of it as well. It's a little bit of a conundrum. We'll, we'll get into that more probably as the season ends, but, um, I like that. There, I do kind of like that. There are so many questions though. It'd be bad if they were just sort of bad and boring, but there is some intrigue there, which I think is, uh, is good. It's good for, for the team that is struggling the most to still have some stuff that is, is quite interesting. So um, let's get into the last game of the weekend, Sunday evening. OL Rain, World Universe Cruncher. OL Rain, Laura Harvey's OL Rain beat Orlando three to nothing in a game that, again, was just not super competitive. Bethany Balser opens the scoring off of a very nice cross from Sofia Huerta. Uh, right back extraordinaire, Sofia Huerta. Um, <laughs> Eugenie Le Somer had a brace. She's really heating up this time of year. This is going really well. Uh, Jennifer Marajan had a fabulous assist on, on Le Somer's first goal. And, or it was a second goal. Sorry, guys. It's, we're recording on Sunday evening. It was a lot of games today. Um, so talk about trends a little bit. I think, obviously, we've seen Owl Rain get very hot recently. Um kind of funny. I, I, I did tweet this, you know, I think they got a manager that put everyone in the right place and kind of let them play (laughs) and it's going really well. And they just have gotten used to each other a little bit more. It helps that Bethany Balser is having having a very good follow-up season to her rookie of the year season. What a player that is. That's a, that's an amazing story. Just how well she's been, even just in year two, um, is, is really exceptional. Uh, Orlando is interesting. Because they are struggling to get wins right now. Or they went through this period in the middle of the season where they could not buy a win. There was like a five-game stretch where they, where they couldn't get a win. But I would say maybe this game opened up maybe to me, because I would say three weeks ago, I said, oh, yeah, of course Orlando's going to be in the playoffs. They're, they're one of the top four. 
everyone else is fighting for fifth and sixth. This looked a little bit like the Orlando pride that we saw struggle in 2019. Specifically, they really had trouble getting the ball to their attackers. They didn't really seem to know how exactly they wanted to progress the ball down the field. They tried to do it centrally and it didn't go super great. Uh, Taylor Korniak was kind of taken out of the game a little bit. It seemed like they were not really playing to her strengths. Felt like Sydney LaRue and Alex Morgan were on a bit of an island. And then it just wasn't a great weekend for progressing the ball out of the back. They got pounced on a couple of times. OL Rain is playing really well, just kind of player for player. They maybe outplayed the pride. Similar to Houston. Orlando... Still still in the playoff position, but now Chicago has actually leapfrogged them by one point. They play the Red Stars twice in their last four games. Those are going to be huge. They did beat Chicago in their first game uh, playing them this season. I, again, taking this week by week, see some doubts here. There's a path towards Orlando being one of the odd teams out which is a little bit surprising after one result. But again, you talk about the worst case scenario for the pride, all of their closest competition won this weekend. And that's just how quickly things can flip. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is, we're going to have two decent teams on the outside looking in, which honestly makes me feel a little bit better about having a six team playoff because I've Mm -hmm. never been a fan when you have more playoff positions than, you know, half the league. Yeah. Good year for it though. Yeah. It's a great year for it because I mean, right now, if if the season were to end today, you'd have Houston and Gotham on the outside and um, those aren't bad teams. Yeah. So uh, in a sense, you're going to have two solid teams this year who won't be in the playoffs. And I think that just validates this idea of having six in the playoffs um, a little bit more. Would you, if you, you know, again, running your hypothetical NWSL team, you can take your pick. What other team, uh, what other team you're running is, is OL rain the team you would least like to play in your first playoff game right now? Yeah. I mean, I think just based purely on momentum, I think, you know, they've got that edge over Portland right now because the rain did have Portland has been very consistent all year. Um, when they had their national team players, then when they didn't have their national team players. And now as they start to get national team players back, very consistent, the rain have been all over the map. Yeah. And so for them to be where they're at right now really speaks to how good they've been over the past few weeks. And, you know, I think Portland and the rain are the two teams you got to look out for right now. Everybody else is, is kind of week to week and you're not really sure what you're going to get. Um, you know, you were talking about Orlando. I think the one thing that would scare me if I were an Orlando fan is knowing that the teams behind me all had games in hand right? and, yeah. and got them as two. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Right. So uh, Orlando right now is two points above the playoff line um, with teams that they are two points ahead of having games in hand. And like I said, um, I believe uh, I believe Orlando has, again, two games against Chicago. I think one against Louisville and I think one against maybe North Carolina. Um, they don't have the easiest run in e- either. Um, so 
it's hard to draw conclusions. We've seen Orlando really flip things around. They have like Chicago, like Houston, like Washington, they have good days and they have bad days. Um, but this just, this does go to show where they have particular points in the field where they can become isolated. And unfortunately with Orlando, because they do sort of have this institutional history of those struggles, if you can get them in a game where they're having trouble with those particular things, I think that they don't always know how to problem solve to get out of it. And I think Becky Burley said this after the game, she said, as a coaching staff, we need to do a better job adjusting to that. Um, And so I'm fascinated by that too, because I think that we saw Burley come in and, you know, shake the environment up, very positive energy, again, playing to the strengths of the team. We've seen a lot of that, you know, coaches coming in saying, Hey, I'm not trying to make you do anything super fancy. I just want this team to be the best version of itself. Um, This is a growing experience maybe for her to, to see what you can do when the team is not the best version of itself. Um, But also maybe you just say, you know, the rain are really surging and this one, you just kind of forget about and, and go on and win the games that you can win. I'm and you travel sure. into the West Coast. Yeah, right. That is well. To go play on that baseball field, I think it's tough. I think that that's a particularly <laughs> tough situation. It just is. Um, so, again, to close this out, I, 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 in my notes, I, I wrote every team down, and I just wrote like arrows, like up, up and down. And I'll say like I, I had NC, like a little bit of a down arrow, mm-hmm. rain up arrow, Gotham up, CRS up. Portland, I just put like a line. They're doing about the same thing they're usually doing. Louisville down, Kansas City about the same. Houston up, Washington up, Orlando down. With the idea that the playoffs kind of start now. So if you think of every game, it's not, but if you think of every game sort of like a single elimination game, I'll just maybe ask a larger question, which is, do you think it gets harder to put each individual performance behind you and move on to the next Hmm. one? as you're running out of games or do you maybe have a game that you lose and you think, man, that's it. And then you kind of struggle to get back up for the next one. It could. I mean, we're going to see that happen over the next probably two weeks. We'll see one or two teams lose uh, or lose two in a row and the consensus will kind of be they're done. And, um, you know, whether at that point they just fold up their tent and go home or whether they try to win their last couple and hope that somebody else falters is kind of one of those gut check moments. Um, I think it's interesting, you know, normally in past years, I've, I've always kind of put together like a, here are the, here are the games everybody has left with the strength of schedule. And it sounds like you're kind of already starting to game that out yeah. and look at who has, you know, the potential for points is, right. is kind of what you're, you're looking at because if this is this is the time where that stuff really matters because if you've got four or five games left and you're looking at games that you're going to potentially lose or really struggle to get a draw that's a lot different than a couple of games against maybe those bottom two teams where you can feel pretty good if you go in and play well and play hard you're going to get three points right yeah and it'll be interesting to see as well what teams continue to sort of play with freedom and what teams get a little bit tight You might see Louisville and Kansas city feel like they have a little bit 
more fun. They have more fun to have. They can just yeah. worry about it a little bit less. Maybe they they've decide. had a lot of opportunity to do that this year. I know, right? It hasn't really <laughs> happened. You know, some teams really enjoy playing spoiler. We saw Sky Blue do that. I think in in 2019, they were sort of trying to dig at people as much as they could. Um, but with so many teams so tight, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see psychologically how everyone adapts to to these last couple of games. Is there a particular team? Maybe take Portland and the Rain mm-hmm. out of it. Those top two. Is there a particular team you think is most equipped for this run-in? Maybe even just taking strength of schedule out of it. I would say that Washington and Gotham probably yeah. are best are best set up, uh, and then my third choice would be Chicago. Yeah, I think if all three of those made it, I would not be surprised. Um, I was a little bit of a Chicago contrarian a couple of weeks ago, and I said I don't know. But what Pardeep said is she said, you know, they're they are for better or for worse. Sometimes the steadiest team in the league in that they can sometimes yeah. get points. You saw that point they got in Houston a couple of weeks ago. They got that point out of nothing. And if you can get a couple of those, I don't know, you know, and I was talking to, to somebody at, at another NWSL club and uh, who works for one of the teams. And mm-hmm. they said, uh, <laughs> they said, it seems like Rory just doesn't care about the first half to two thirds of the season. Well, he'll tell you that to, to your face. Right. But it always feels like it's a little bit of, right. Uh, I don't know what the uh, podcast appropriate word is, but uh, bull baloney right. yeah. um, when he says it, but, uh, but yeah, it just, uh, it was kind of like, Oh, well, we lost this one. And, and for that team, they've been through this so many times that right. it does kind of feel like they're, they're just, it's just so ingrained in them. Right um to be exactly where they are at exactly this point in the season yeah um and i think that's true for a lot of these teams and i think basically what you can say is yeah the magic number is not in single digits for a lot of these teams however i think if you've got four games left or five games left and you can get three points out of two of them that might be enough yeah depending on who you're playing yeah and so it's going to be very exciting i hope everyone tunes in it's going to be a really good run into the rest of the season it's never been this close before um still no idea how it's going to end up uh and here's hoping for some good performances and maybe you know fewer blowouts but sometimes those are interesting too so thank you so much john for joining me this week uh sunday evening recording getting it done after a lot of nwsl games Uh, i have been your host claire watkins shout out to our producer extraordinaire jacqueline purdy and blue wire podcasts our distributor we'll be back next week with perhaps more insight, but maybe even more confusion about what's going on with the end of this NWSL season. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next time.